Uh, we've been looking uh, the last few weeks at Second Peter after our series on First Peter. We're almost done. Uh, next week, uh, Joe Brown will finish uh, up Second uh, Peter, and then the week after that, we'll start in the Psalms, and we'll do Psalm uh, 1 first, which makes sense. Um, we're not going to do all 150 of them, but uh, we're going to work our way uh, through the Psalms into the fall, uh, and uh, we're going to we'll go from there. So. Uh, but today we're going to look at Second Peter chapter three, verses ten through fourteen. Peter has been preparing uh, the churches that he's been writing to about uh, uh, the fact that uh, the false teachers who have told them that uh, Jesus is never returning uh, are wrong. And uh, uh, today he's going to talk about how to live in light of the sure return uh, of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look today at Second Peter uh, chapter three, verses ten through fourteen. This text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? By the way, I know some of you like to have scripture bumper stickers or license plates on your car. This would be a great one. Let me read it again. Nobody thought it was funny at the first service either, but I think it's hilarious to be stopped at a uh, stoplight and look in front of you and suddenly begin hit with, since all these things are thus to be dissolved... What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That could be a devotional moment uh, in traffic, right? So uh, what, a, what, a, what a good thing. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, uh, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So this is one of these texts that that you read and you think, you know what, Uh, practically speaking, I'm not going to pay much attention to this. And the reason why I'm not going to pay a lot of attention to this is because the truth of the matter is, what I really think is that life is going to keep going the way it's been going. That every day unfolds the way every day unfolds, and that it's to expect or to look for some kind of giant uh, intervention by God and the world to change things just seems silly to me. In fact, you know, I just want to get through life as painlessly as I can, you know, and, and do a good job and, and, and have people like me, you know, generally and, and then get out of here once and for all. That, that's, that's kind of what we shoot for. And what Peter's saying is, listen, the false teachers have told you exactly that, that Jesus is not going to return, that the way things are is the way things always will be, and just have a good time while you're here. But Peter says, no, things are going to be dissolved, changed. Renewed. Everything that we see around us, uh, much of it will be altered forever. Um, when, uh, when I was in high school, we came home from church one day. Um, 
settled into the house. Uh, were, um, it was in the wintertime. I, re- I remembered that. And we were uh, doing our kind of normal right after lunch Sunday routines when suddenly there was a banging on our door, went to the door, and our neighbor was there saying, your barn is on fire. 1,500 bales of hay, a tractor right next to it, was uh, several hundred gallons of diesel fuel. <laughs> uh, and uh, that uh, it was quite alarming, as you might imagine. So my dad and I began running out there, grabbing stuff. He jumps on the tractor, gets it cranks up, backs it out. We're running in, grabbing stuff. Adrenaline takes over. You don't think about what's going on. And I remember running back into the barn one last time and seeing this aluminum ladder across the barn and thinking, I need to grab that, and um, watching it as I was moving, took a couple of steps towards it, and it began to shimmer in the heat. It was starting to melt. And at that point, the adrenaline drained out of me, and I realized I should probably get out of here. And uh, I got out and uh, got the water going to the, to the diesel fuel tank to cool it off until... The volunteer firemen, which is what we had, could get there uh, and put it out. 1,500 bales of hay. I don't know if if you have an understanding about how much hay that is, but it's probably more than most of you have ever seen in your life altogether. (laughs) Uh, And it burnt every bit of it. It burned hot. And uh, nothing... uh, uh, almost nothing was left of that uh, barn except the things that we grabbed and, and, and got out of there before it burned up. It changed everything about our farm. Uh, in fact, it was probably a big reason why not too long after that my dad got out of the business of farming. Changed everything. Something that, you know, we were there on a Sunday afternoon thinking it was going to be a normal day, normal week, normal drudgery, And a fire came and changed everything. So when we when we think about this, we think, you know, how how could this even be possible? How could this even happen to us? And so as we as we look at this text this morning, I want to begin with with something that's not directly from the text, but something to help us begin to kind of get our brains wrapped uh, around this One of the things that we tend to think about, because we value education, we value thoughts, we value facts, is that we look at the Bible often as something to understand. And that's important. Something to know. And that's important. But really, the Bible is not so much a text to be mastered, but a word intent on shaping our lives and on mastering us. So if if I understand what the Bible teaches... If I know it inside and out, and yet it is not directing me, it is not over me, it is not shaping me, it is not changing me, it is not alarming me, it is not comforting me, it is not convicting me, then, then for all my knowledge about what the Bible has to say, uh, it's doing me actually uh, 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 no good, Right? And so one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that the gospel, the word of, of God intervening in our lives in Jesus Christ is so big and so good it touches every part of our lives. 
And it even addresses the shiny, wonderful, and beautiful things in this world. Um, And that's one of the things that we have to come to grips with because the fact of the matter is we are creatures who are easily captivated uh, by the things that we see and that we appreciate in this world. And so we need to ask the question and, 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 and get at this is that why would God destroy all that he has made and at one point declared good? Now, now, one of the things that you have to see about this is before you get into this, you may think, you know, that's that obscure prophecy stuff. That's, that's that obscure, if, if you're familiar with this word, eschatology about the end times, that, that really nobody understands what that's talking about. And so I'm just not going to pay any attention to that. What difference does that make to what I'm doing right now? Well, Peter says it makes every difference. Uh, and this is and this is why uh, it it makes a difference. And one of the things that you have to see about it is, friends, this is not obscure. The prophets in the Old Testament talk about this. It's all over the Bible. It's not just something that nut job pastors who come on on really weird cable TV stations. Uh, talk about late at night, <laughs> right? That, that we tend to think about this. This is the gospel, right? This is what we recognize and that, that the promise of the gospel is not just that Jesus died so that we can live a good uh, life and have a generally healthy relational uh, arc to our lives and, and, and have people come to our funeral and say kind things about us and that we, you know, we have this ethereal existence with him forever in heaven, sitting on a cloud, plucking a harp. The, the fact of the matter is, the promise of God is that Jesus Christ took on flesh, walked on this planet, on this dirt, and he redeemed real, live people, flesh and blood. And that the promise of God has been that through the work of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done, he is going to change this world forever and that all of history is moving to that point where the work of Jesus Christ comes to completion and fruition once and for all with uh, the resurrection of the dead, with the redemption of our bodies, and the renewal of all creation forever and ever. That's where it's headed. That's where we're going, right? And so, so the, the fact is we have to ask the question, if that's, if that's where it's all headed, then why would God burn it up? To get to the new stuff. Well, the reason, it's, it's not because God looks at things and thinks, I sh, I, you know, that's not a good thing or that's not a good thing. The problem is that we attach ourselves to the wrong things, right? And sometimes we attach ourselves too much to the good things, right? And, and one, of the, one of the ways, one of the primary ways this works for us is, and, one, and, you, and you hear that, and let me just say this right out at, at the beginning, you know, you don't believe you do this. You think, just like I think, you know what? I'm a generous person. You know what? I, I have my priorities right. And, and I understand God's economy. Now that family over there, they bought an extravagantly expensive blank. They don't get it. But I do. And so if you're tempted to be better than them, 
Or if you're tempted in another way to think, huh, they're getting ahead of me. For instance, one of our favorite sayings, one of the things that you hear people say all the time, this is one of those Christian bumper sticker things, I've never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. So prosaic, right? Just so, such an elegant statement, right? Whatever it means, we hear that. Or, or we hear somebody say, you know, whoever dies with the most toys wins. And we think that's a terrible thing, and we, we, we kind of mock that. Well, I think that about other people when what they're doing and what they're buying and what their lifestyle is like makes me jealous because I'm better than them. They might be richer. They might take better vacations. Their kids might be smarter. Their kids might look better than mine. Their relationships might be better. Uh, Their house might be better. Whatever it is. But you know what? I am righteous because I don't indulge in those things. So there is a window into my attachment. Really, in a sick sort of way, I've attached myself in a coveting, jealous way to these things by saying I'm above all that. But boy, it bugs the daylights out of me that they have it. Right? So we attach ourselves to the wrong things. We attach ourselves too much to the good things. Sometimes, sometimes we look around us and we think, you know, my life would be, uh, uh, somehow or other, God is against me because he hasn't provided me with th- these things. And I look about me and I see other people who have all these things and I think, what is wrong with you, God? What is wrong with me that I don't have these things because my life is somehow not worth it. My life is somehow not what it ought to be because in your providence and your care, you haven't seen fit to give me these things. It is good to lament what we don't have, but it is never good to think that these good things could become ultimate things that I could find my life in. So so one of the ways that I think about this, and one of the ways you can begin to measure this a little bit is, is to ask yourself if you're in a race. Now, now the scripture uses the language all the time about race, right? That we, that we run the race, right? And that we win the crown of glory at the end and the, the victor's crown and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and we're competitive people. We are, we're racing against one another just as hard as we can. We're racing against something. I see it, I, I see it in my own life. I see it with us all the time. So, so one of the ways I kind of think about the way we misunderstand the race, there is a race. Jesus ran it for us. And if and if and and we're the only way we're going to get to the finish line is climbing on his back, right? Right? He's got to carry us across the finish line. But the way we tend to think about it is, no, we're in a race, and and somebody else is ahead of me. Either they got a better car, or a better marriage, or a better boyfriend, or a better girlfriend, or a better kid, or a better education, or a better uh, pair of pants, or a better pair of shoes, or you know whatever it is. So it's kind of like the Tour de France, which will start in a couple of weeks. You ever watch that? Do you really know what's going on there? Because cause I don't. I love that thing. I, I find it so interesting. But you can't... I, how, how do they figure out who's actually winning? Because you watch it and some guy who doesn't matter wins this particular leg of the race. 
And he's going to finish 125th. And some guy who finished 40th is actually leading the race. Now, you ever, you ever watch that and you're like, huh? I know you must have to be European to figure this out, right? So, because Americans, I'm like, if the guy who wins every race should win, but it's not that way. So, so you might win two or three legs of it and finish 40th. How does that happen? Or, or you might be in a group of 60 people and you all get second place. How does that happen? I don't understand. I, don't, I love watching it. I think it's really interesting. It's, really, it's impressive. I wish I could do that. But I don't understand. There must be some comp, complicated algorithm or calculus about who is ahead and who's not and all that kind of stuff. Well, well that's, that's how we think about life. When we look about us and we think, uh-oh, they're getting ahead. They might win the race. I'm falling behind. And I could catch up if I had what they have. So Peter slaps us right in the face with this this morning. Actually, Jesus does in a good way, in a loving way, in a kind way and says, you know what? Listen, you will attach yourself to the wrong things. And what will happen to you is you will believe and you will, will, will set yourself upon achieving these things. And the fact of the matter is all of these things that you think about, all of these things that you believe will give you life are going to burn They're going to burn. Now, we don't really believe that. Or, if you're like me, you think, it's, you know what? It's going to burn, but I'm going to get the good out of it <laughs> until it burns, right? Right? So, next slide, please, Sarah. So, so, how do we think about this? Well, Peter addresses this with two clear messages in this text. So, the world we love is going to burn. Therefore, investing in this world is investing in something that have the, or some things that have no future. Just imagine 25 years ago, if you took all of your money, all of your retirement, everything that you had, and you invested it in the Royal Typewriter Company. Right? What 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 would that have been like? Right? I I I don't even I have a Royal Typewriter that I had in college, and I'm I'm gonna. Uh, I use it to fund my retirement because uh, it's an antique. I typed all my papers on that royal typewriter. Some of you are like, what's a typewriter? (laughs) Um, One of the things I've talked with my kids about is, you know, when they talk about investing, you know, one of the things that used to be several of my uncles made a good living driving trucks. Well, that's going away. Pretty soon, all trucks will drive themselves. So the growth industry, the places where the jobs are going to be is pumping gas. Think about that one for a minute, right? Because if all the gas stations are self-serve and there's nobody driving the truck, who's going to pump the gas, right? So, so you can get a job. You can get a, that's, that's where the future is, is in pumping gas, until they get a robot that can pump the gas. But until then, that's where, that's, that's where it is. Well, so what we do is when we think, you know what, life is not going to, my life is, is not going to be worth living, or, or I, I must have this, or, or, or whatever it is, that we invest our time and energy in pursuing these things uh, that are all going to burn. And I have to, I have to say 
that one of the things that we have to, to do about this is, and one of the lies that our culture tells us is, as long as I'm doing it for my family, or as long as I'm doing it for my kids, it's okay. Well, it might be, but it might not be. Because are we teaching our kids that these things, you know, Happy Meal toys, my kids would kill for those. Are those, those things are going to burn. So, so, you know, one day maybe my children will come to me and say, you know, you taught me that Jesus loved me, but you taught me that the way Jesus loved me is by giving me these things that honestly, that, well, they don't last. So secondly, the future that we wait for and that we actually in a strange way hasten will be more wonderful than anything we have ever experienced in this life. So, so the best day, the most wonderful vacation that you've ever had, the most ideal day that you've ever spent, the most joy you've ever experienced, pales in comparison to the world of righteousness and joy that, we, that Jesus Christ is, is preparing to bring to bear in our lives and on this world forever and ever and ever. And so, so these two things have to be what shapes the way we live. Peter says, all this stuff is going away, and what the Lord has for you is so much better than all of these things. So that ought to shape the way, the love of God manifest in that way, should shape the way, the things we value, the things that matter to us, the things that we give our time, energy, resources, thought to, that ought to be the thing that... that that, that, that drives us, because these are the things, this is, this is reality. So, so he says, too, that not only are all these things going away, and all these things are going to be dissolved, that the Lord is going to come like a thief. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. But it'll, it'll be like you didn't see it coming, right? And so, so the question is, how do we prepare ourselves? How do we live lives of holiness and godliness, as he says, being prepared, spotless, blameless, and living at peace with one another and, and being found in him when he comes? So, so the issue for us is, is, is to understand that the only thing that ultimately lasts is the love of God manifest to us in Jesus Christ, understanding that Jesus walked this earth, lived our lives, died our death, rose again, and that that shapes and changes everything about how I spend my time, my energy, my money, my relationships, all of those things, and that is what kind of shapes the way I live. And in fact, in fact... Um, we may believe and we may think that things are just going to continue as they are, but the thief is coming. And in, in the middle of the night, when you least expect it, Jesus will arrive on the scene. Next slide. <clears throat> so this preparation comes by lives of holiness and godliness and being found without spot or blemish and at peace. Wouldn't that be a great way for us to think, think about our lives, to be set free from from the, the anxiety and from the uh, drive to have these things and to wring some life out of these things that, that are in this world and rather see what the gospel sets me free to do is to live a, live a life of holiness and godliness so that I can actually enjoy fully the things of this life and to be found without spot or blemish and at peace. So uh, uh, John Piper says this about this. So most people try to find meaning in life by building something that's not just here today and gone tomorrow. 
So we strive to overcome our sense of finiteness by producing something, something, right? So some people build equity, you know, in their homes, and they get a great sense of power and success by looking at their house and thinking through their portfolio. Now, the Shelbys have a different view about this. And our view about our house is not unlike our uh, Native American ancestors who would live in a place for a while and ruin that place and then move on to the next place. You know, we, we buy ugly houses. That's for us, right? So we, we use up all the natural resources in a place and we use up all the, the pretty there until we move on to the next one. So that's, that's, that's how we do that. But um, some build professional reputations through skill and hard work and get a sense of power and success from their heavy responsibilities and the numbers of people that look to them for leadership. That's one of the great sins of pastors, is we worship the idol of impact and influence. And if I don't feel like I'm having an impact or an influence, even though I'm being faithful, I feel like, um, well, life's not worth living. Some people build artistic expressions and exult in what they've created. Some uh, more simply build hobbies and collections of coins or beetles or buttons. Any of y'all collect beetles? I don't want to know. <laughs> okay? And if you collect buttons, I really don't want to know that either, okay? Uh, right? Uh, and they gain a sense of superiority from the size of their collection or the richness of their garden, or the shine of their car, or the wonders of their new Apple computer. This was, this was uh, he wrote this in 1982. Apple computer, right? So, but remember, the false teachers in Second Peter, right, have lined their pockets with money, they've elevated themselves above authority, they've built a reputation as astute interpreter of Paul's hard letters, remember these are all the things that they've said, and they gave themselves the sexual licentiousness. Peter's response to us and them is this, it's going to be burned up. So the implication of verse 11 is this, the only things that are going to survive the fires of judgment on this earth are the expressions of holiness and godliness. The only thing that's going the only thing that's going to last, right? So the only thing that 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 is worth giving ourselves to, because we are of eternal worth, we are of eternal value, we are worth the very blood of Jesus Christ. And so, what is it that we would give our lives and our hearts uh, and our resources and our time and energy to, right? So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we trust Jesus? How do we follow Him? How do we? see the impact of the gospel in our lives and the way in which we live here and now when we are surrounded so much by so many beautiful and attractive things that are crying out to us to, 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 to take hold of and that we live in a world where we conspire with one another and we look down upon one another and we look down upon ourselves if we don't drive or live or behave in a a certain way. So, so the first, the first one is, is that we need to repeat, repent of the shame of less. Now, let me explain to you what the shame of less is. You have the shame of less when you look about you and you see somebody who's doing better than you, and you look at yourself and you feel ashamed because you don't have what they have. Um, 
I have a son who lives four states away, living a, a, a wonderful, faithful life, doing great work for the Lord. The Lord uses him in profound ways, and, and he has a relationally rich and wonderful life. And he's always putting p- pictures for his mom to see on Facebook so that we know that he's okay, you know. Well, one I look at them, and I'm like, I bought him all these great clothes for Christmas. And in every single picture, he's wearing the shirt that he wore for Daniel's wedding. Every single picture. Every single picture. He's wearing the same shirt. He's, and I, I look at that and I think, people are going to think he doesn't have any shirts. And worse than that, they're going to think that I haven't bought him any shirts and that dad's a skinflint and that he's a jerk. Or they're going to think, Tate, son, you know, um, do wear something different. Don't, don't be so goofy, right, or something. So I look at that and I'm like, that is terrible. That is just terrible. So I feel the shame of less. Because I look around me and I think, he should be doing better. Why aren't I doing better? He'll listen to this and he'll change his shirt. So... <laughs> But we do that in a million different ways, right? So the shame of less is, is, is a lie from hell that gets over us and robs us of the joy of the gift that Jesus Christ is to us. Secondly, we, we need to repent of the sin of covetousness. Now, we think, I don't ever covet anything, or that actually I covet things and that's okay. Because everybody else is doing it. You notice when when Moses gives the commandment about coveting, he doesn't say, thou shalt not covet. He he gives a list, right? Don't covet your your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. Don't covet your neighbor's cows. Because the fact is, we need that list because we'll covet, you know, we'll find something out there that somebody else has to covet. Right, and so so the the fact is what Peter says is, and, and what, what what we have to do with that is, you know, coveting is such a fruitless exercise because those things that we covet that other people have are going to burn. And so, and what happens to me in that is the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ for me becomes smaller and smaller when the thing that somebody else has that I want becomes bigger and bigger. Thirdly, we need to repent of the sin of impact. Um, the fact of the matter is, uh, uh, God is not holding you accountable for impact, right? So, so Jesus Christ uh, sees you, he loves you, and he uses you as he sees fit. Fourthly, um, one of the things that is so profound about this is, is the fact that all of these things are going to burn, and yet... Marvel that God uses temporary things like money to bring eternal glory to himself. God uses money that is temporary and going to burn away to send uh, teen moms to um, Young Lives Camp and they get changed and their kids get changed and their... And their uh, uh, Lives get changed forever. It is amazing that God takes this thing, which is of only temporary value, but he uses it through the gospel to bring eternal value and glory. Right? He says that we are to end up with these lives of 
of peace and purity and spotlessness. Jesus Christ was the spotless lamb who who gave his pure uh, uh, life uh, for us so that we could belong to him. We take a vow when we join the church that says we will maintain the peace and purity of the church. Are you main, what do you, how, do you, how do you maintain the peace and purity of the church? Um, the way you maintain the peace and purity of the church is that when you have a conflict, and we all do, uh, we deal directly with the person with whom we have the conflict. Triangles, always bad. Straight lines, always good. Remember that Jesus knows the vast temptations that these things have for us. Why would Jesus talk so much about this stuff if he didn't understand that that was the way we were, we're wired and we're built? So when, when you come to him and you say, Jesus, I covet this. I'm jealous of my friend's children, or I'm jealous of my, my friend's house, or I'm jealous of my friend's vacation. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with these things. He's not caught off guard. And in fact, these, those are precisely the things that he came to redeem you from. And so be bold in confessing to him and acknowledging that our tendency is to spend all of our time and energy and affection upon that which is going to someday dissolve. Jesus endured the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. Jesus endured the shame of poverty. Jesus endured the shame of wrongful condemnation and conviction. All of those things to purchase for us an eternity of joy uh, that uh, can never, ever, ever uh, go away. That can never, ever rot or spoil. And so because that that is the future that he died to give us, that he rose again to give us, and that he is bringing to us, it gives us a sober joy to look about us and to see the things that we have and to see the things that we don't have and understand that all of these things are temporary and are passing away. Um, Listen, listen, The way things are right now is not the way things are going to be. And that's a great thing because the future is better. We say sometimes the best is yet to come. Uh, In Christ, that doesn't even begin, doesn't even begin to measure the glory that he has for us. Let's take a minute to pray and repent of uh, our attachment to things that are going to dissolve and trust Jesus to be good and faithful and forgiving us and renewing us. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, acknowledge to you that we, um, we would give our lives and our hearts, uh, we would give uh, so much to these things that are only temporary. And whether it's power or relationships or money or security or whatever it is, I pray that you would cause us to uh, repent of that. I pray that you would help us to trust you and help us to see the glory and the joy uh, that uh, you uh, bring to us. Lord, help us to trust you in that. 
We confess that it's hard to believe uh, that uh, the stuff that just looks so compelling to us is not what life is all about. And so we need you by your spirit to teach us. Lord, we, we thank you today that you were the spotless lamb and that you walked through this world to redeem it. And I pray that you would give us hope in the joy of your renewal and your redemption of this world. Lord, teach us uh, uh, what to value, how to value it, uh, and how to trust you in the midst of those, uh, in the midst of our daily lives. Lord, we need you to do this in us and through us. So bless us now, we pray, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.